Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hey, what's up? It's Nolan from Past Gas by Donut Media. We are an automotive history show. This week, we're talking the life story of Gilles Villeneuve, Canada's most important Formula One driver, This guy is a national hero up there and truly one of the greats taken from us too soon. He started out racing snowmobiles when he was a teenager. He invented one of the most important snowmobile innovations ever, which is crazy for a Formula One driver to do, and eventually became just one of the most legendary drivers of the 1970s. This guy raced for such a short time, but had such a large impact, and it was super cool to talk about a Quebecois racing legend. That's Past Gas by Dona Media, available anywhere you get your podcasts. Subscribe today. Number one automotive podcast, Past Gas. Picture this. You're on a deserted road in the middle of nowhere. It's just you, the sagebrush, and miles of endless asphalt. After a contemplative glance at the stunning horizon, you realize that it's almost dinner time and that you need to get home to your wife and stepkids. Within seconds, the only thing you hear is the wind whipping past your face and a roaring engine beneath you. In this magical moment, there's no alimony, there's no tax man. You, my friend, are completely free. Whether you're kicking up dust on your favorite dirt bike or screaming a crotch rocket down the 101 at midnight, there's nothing on earth like riding a motorcycle. But Harley-Davidson bikes are a little different. Maybe it's their sound. Maybe it's their mystique. Maybe it's a century's worth of market dominance. But how did the hogs get their start? What led to the company's meteoric rise in automotive culture? And where does HD stand today? Well, strap on your saddlebags, because today on Past Gas, we're taking a look at one of the most iconic motorcycle brands in America, Harley-Davidson. Past Gas Podcast. It's about cars, it's not about ports. I'm curious about the fact that in this fantasy, (laughs) we're divorced? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, no host on this podcast has been married. No. But in our fantasy where we have yeah. freedom in like a motorcycle, we're like cruising up PCH or whatever, bike. we're divorced. We got the hog and all it cost was And alimony our, our is marriage. like an issue that we think about consistently and a thing that we need to escape on our hog. It could be the first marriage, but marrying someone who is divorced that has kids. No, we have alimony. We said alimony. Oh, okay. So not only do we have stepkids, but we have alimony, alimony. as well. Regular as well. kids that we're neglecting. Yeah. Well, alimony is not for kids. That's child support. Alimony is to pay for our ex-wife or husband. So it, in this situation, it it's not necessarily, you don't necessarily have kids of your own. No. Yeah. So that makes it more like, oh, I got to get home to these kids that I didn't even make. I didn't even make, and their dad hates me, and they hate me. Or maybe yeah. it's like, hey, I got to, I, I forgot, I have kids now, I, I, and I love yeah. them. Oh, I love. I got to get home fast. Yeah, on my hog. Yeah, this is a classic Luke Klompin, uh <laughs> yeah, I just think it's a weird fantasy to be a. Div- Again, none of us have been married. <laughs> none of us are divorced. <laughs> I think all three of us are in love. Mm-hmm. And, and none yeah. of us have kids that we know of. And live with our significant others. Yes. But now in this fantasy, 
We things have divorced really, from those women. Things have fallen apart. And have yeah. since married another woman with children. Yeah. And we are now paying our current yeah. <laughs> partners alimony. So, And we also have uh, <laughs> not wise purchase. You yeah, know? we're driving our hog to escape <laughs> our lives. Not a great foot to start out on. Anyway, welcome to Pass Gas. Yes, welcome to the show, everybody. Those voices you hear. My name is Nolan Sykes. Uh, those other voices you hear are James Pumphrey. I don't ever want to get divorced. And Joe Weber. What's up, Slop Nation? We're in hog country this week. Oink, oink, baby. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. We're talking about uh, Harley Davidson, which I think we've covered in a pretty good detail during our, <laughs> yeah, and during our seven 1700 part, part uh, <laughs> history of the Hells Angels. The Hell's Angels but we're going to revisit did at the beginning of quarantine. We yeah. started with the invention of the wheel. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we, we did. I don't think we're going to go as far back this time around, but. We are revisiting the topic. I'm excited. Have you guys ever wanted a Harley? Yeah. Yeah? Of course. Uh, me too. I, I want really one this like, weekend. I like the V-Rod a lot. V-Rod's cool. That, that's V-Rod? an older one. That like from the mid-2000s. That was kind of Harley's take on like a sport bike. Almost not completely sport bike, but it was, they wanted it a little bit more like sophisticated kind of styling. It looks yeah. sweet. It doesn't look like any other Harley that's been made. Yeah. Sometimes I want to build like a little like a... Uh, flat track influenced mm. bike and mm-hmm. then sometimes i want a big old long fork chopper with skinny tires yeah, yeah. and re- handlebars that are real close easy together. rider yeah, style A-pangers. yeah not a pangers not the big tall ones no, i want ones like down here ones on my chest here. like this yeah. yeah it's i see a few guys riding around venice on those kind of things yeah you know? that, that would be my crew yeah. it's <laughs> so funny that it's those like guys are bike. all graphic designers or, yeah, uh, set production guys yeah, that yeah. That's had a me. drug problem earlier in their life. Uh-huh. My old neighborhood is full of uh, creative people my age. That's great. Pretty cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just a lot think of it's, ironic cars. <laughs> I think it's funny that... A lot of Max Maddoxes living the, like the mm-hmm. Max Maddox in front of the line. <laughs> the stance that you have to have with those bikes is like super wide knees, <laughs> really tight together arms. Yeah, you don't see a lot of like big guys on the narrow ones. It's yeah. always like little... yeah scrawnier guys yeah, i'm anyway. gonna hit the gym i'm gonna do some cardio okay <laughs> i message received no, I, 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 <laughs> look you're talking to the guy who eats a lot of red vines in the <laughs> office so i'm not calling anyone out i bought two pints of baskin robbins the other day and i was like these are gonna last me two weeks and i two days two days <laughs> if yeah. that the problem man anyway um <laughs> it is <laughs> it is <laughs> um yeah let's talk about Harley, Harley Davidson. And Davidson. Uh, Harley Davidson, I think of rebels, but mm-hmm. I also think of old men. Yeah. And I think Harley, more than any, right off the bat, I think my initial impression of Harley Davidson's is the ultimate boomer thing. Like they started mm-hmm. out being like rebellious mm-hmm. and like cool and like really sticking it to yeah. the man. And now they're like lame. Mm. But yeah. we'll see if I maintain that thought after yeah, we we'll see. this. We'll see. I, I think you're pretty on the money there, James. They are a, co- a company in flux right now. They're really realizing that their customer base is kind of dying out, mm-hmm. and they need to appeal to the young people to survive. Well, Harley, there's no better way to appeal to a group of young gearheads than advertising with Donut Media. Please <laughs> hit up passgas at donutmedia.com. Send a live wire. So send us a live wire. But, Harley, we would love to uh, do something with you. Hit us up. Uh, me and Jer, this is actually Jer's first script with us as an up-to-speed episode years ago i helped him write it so it was a great one it was, it was a very it was me meeting jer getting mm-hmm. to work with him this is a gonna be a good one it was a real wheelie of a video <laughs> am i doing it right yeah they do a lot of wheelies on harley's so. right, right. <laughs> william bill harley and arthur davidson grew up only a few houses down from each other on chestnut street in milwaukee wisconsin hey That's where Joe's from. Throughout the summers of their youth during the 1880s and 90s, the two boys were, to put it lightly, very into their bicycles. (laughs) And and they certainly weren't alone. America was in the midst of a bicycle frenzy since revolutionary chain drive technology had only just been introduced in the mid-80s. But when most kids would chuck their two-wheelers on the front lawn and scamper into the house at supper time, young Billy and Arthur were just getting warmed up. I thought they were going to say... Billy and Arthur were there to scoop up those bikes and steal them and ride them home. (laughs) Inspired by their love of the Wisconsin countryside, the boys were obsessed with the idea of a bike that could go off-road. Various early versions of motorcycles were available in Europe, 
But America wouldn't see its first manufacturer until the Metz Company in Waltham, Massachusetts opened their doors in 1898. This meant that the market was wide open, which gave the boys even more motivation to create a new machine. So, in a 10 by 15 foot wooden shed in the Davidson family backyard, Bill and Arthur began to experiment with different ways to create an engine for their rides. But despite their enthusiasm, it quickly became clear that in order to design this contraption, they would need more technical training. In 1896, at the age of 15, Harley began work at a bicycle factory in Milwaukee. He was a fast learner and became a talented draftsman, which led to a job at the Barth Manufacturing Company. It would suck to be the second person in a company like Harley Davidson, and then because no one ever calls it a Davidson. Yeah, they call it a Harley. No one says, I'm going to Robux to get a TV. What? Sears Robux. Uh, well, uh, well, they, no mean, they dropped that, the Robux yeah, thing long that, ago. Sears went out of business, yeah. Yeah, so no one's getting a TV. <laughs> you can't buy TV. <laughs> Arthur Davidson also got a draftsman job at Barth, and he and Bill would spend their spare time improving their prototype. But again, they ran into a lot of problems. The ambitious 21-year-olds realized that the most revolutionary design in the world wasn't going to mean diddly if you didn't have an expert to build the thing. Fortunately, Davidson's older brother, Walter, was exactly the expert they needed. Working as a machinist in Kansas, Walter got a call from Arthur, asking him to visit Milwaukee to assess the fledgling project. Walter took the trip, and after seeing what he considered a mess, decided to stay in Milwaukee to help with development. It's just like Oasis. <laughs> Expand. Noel, Noel Gallagher had a band, and they were just like, whatever. They didn't have, he was the singer. I mean, he's got a fine voice. He's a really good songwriter. But they weren't doing anything, so he's like, hey, Liam, mm. how about you come sing for my band? And Liam was like, your band shot, but I guess I'll stick around and sing for them. And, and uh, he moved from Kent to Essex. Yeah, and started singing for Oasis. <laughs> and the rest is a wonder wall. <laughs> <laughs> In 1903, the team built their first complete motorcycle, featuring a single-cylinder engine, a buckle crank, and a leather drive belt. The bike was kick-started by the rider pedaling until the engine built up enough compression to take over. Like a moped. Yeah. Shortly thereafter, the eldest Davidson brother, William, joined the team. And in 1904, they created a second prototype, which premiered in a race at State Fair Park in Milwaukee. So it's three, three Davidson brothers. Yeah, mm -hmm. and one Harley. And he gets all the credit. Dude, that guy rules. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Harley is a great name. Harley is a really good name, but like... I bet that guy's personality rules. <laughs> <laughs> like to be able to take like three brothers and be like, well, no, let's see, I think I'm still part of first. <laughs> the company's first production bike, the Harley Davidson Model 1, was formally introduced in 1905, and America's newest motorcycle manufacturer was officially off and running. In 1906, Harley Davidson had six employees and built a new 28 by 80 foot factory right there on Chestnut Street, today known as Juno Avenue. Oh, I know Juno. Yeah, it's after that uh, movie with Michael Sarah, Juno, Rain Wilson. It's quirky. Diablo Cody. Diablo Cody. This is where Bill Harley designed his first internal combustion engine. Harley Davidson produced 50 bikes that year and released their first product catalog where they were nicknamed Silent Gray Fellows. What? In reference to their love of dove gray paint and quiet reliability. Okay. It's that East Coast gray we're always looking for. Mm. <laughs> That's an inside joke that neither of you worked here for. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like the first four months of donut. The company was officially incorporated in 1907, and it was time to give the founding fathers official titles. As for the three Davidson brothers, Walter was named president, Arthur, general sales manager and secretary, and William became head of production. Meanwhile, Bill Harley, who completed his mechanical engineering degree from University of Wisconsin-Madison that same year, was the chief engineer and treasurer. Go Badgers. Go Badgers. Two, my dad and my sister went to UW-Madison. That is so sick. I love that. Go Badgers. <laughs> Despite their growing success, William Harley wanted to take their bikes to the promised land, which for him meant building a two-cylinder engine, which he did in 1909. With a displacement of 49.5 cubic inches and seven hungry buff horse purrs, the soon-to-be legendary V-Twin 
could reach speeds as high as 60 miles per hour. Dude, in 1909? 1909, <laughs> and I guarantee there's no suspension on that thing. <laughs> oh, that'd be scary as hell. Dude, that'd be awesome. I used to have a puke moped mm-hmm. with a solid rear end. Ooh. It was like a BMX bike, and it yeah. would go 60. Oh, God. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you had to pedal it to start it. That's sick. Uh, shout out to Brighton Bees in North Carolina if you're still a company. They build really cool mopeds. Harley Davidson's production rose to 3,200 machines by 1910, and the bar and shield logo was used for the first time, which was sketched by the Davidson boys' aunt, Janet. Shout out, Janet. Great Janet. job. That's aunt, iconic. Aunt Janet, we need a logo. <laughs> In 1911, Harley introduced the 7D, their first model with a V-twin engine. Three years later, the 10F featured the first V-twin with two speeds and a step starter similar to the modern-day Kickstarter. The 10F was also the first model to use a chain rather than a leather drive belt, which would corrode much faster than metal. Hmm. I mean, you know, bury a horse and bury a piece of metal. Come back six months later, tell me which one looks... Dip more different. One's going to taste better, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we love horse kimchi. <laughs> Based on Harley-Davidson's increasingly strong reputation, the U.S. Postal Service was using 4,800 Harley bikes to deliver mail by 1914. Arthur Davidson also successfully expanded Harley-Davidson contracts with various police departments and the U.S. military, which was fine timing, considering a guy named Franz Ferdinand was about to be assassinated in Austria, leading to World War One. Say it, Nolan. No, no, I was letting you have this one. Take me out. <laughs> <laughs> Roughly 50% of Harley sales went to the U.S. military for use in World War One. Wow. Hey, guys, guess what? They probably charged triple. We got the military. And also, guess what? The entire world is going to war. Yay. Oh, no. Wait, what countries? All of them. Literally, all of them. Uh, Like we mentioned in the Hells Angels episodes, uh, the motorcycles are mainly used for, like, scouting on the battlefield. So, like, you'd have some guy ride up for and be like, okay, this is where the guys are, and ride back. Dude, that would be a sick movie to make a movie about, like, a World War I scout team. Yes. That's cool. Yeah. What would he call it? Hmm. Scout it out. No, it'd have to be called, like... It had to be a certain time where, like, a scout really helped a thing, and the name of the movie is, like, Latitude and Longitude Coordinates. Ooh, It'd be, like, oh, wow. like, 80 by 160 West. I was going to say Trench Hoppers. Trench Hoppers. <laughs> That's sick. Andrew Garfield stars. Yeah. Oh, he is so in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, John Hamm is in it. Yeah. Yep. And Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> <laughs> He's in all of our movies. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a great hot actor. right now. He's good. The company also opened their first service school, which operated as an army training facility for mechanics throughout the war. Dude, these guys are a good startup. Yeah. <laughs> After the armistice was signed in November of 1918, Corporal Roy Holtz was the first American soldier to cross into Germany, and he was riding a Harley Davidson when he did it. Harley-Davidson became the world's largest motorcycle manufacturer in 1920 with over 2,000 dealers in 67 countries. Whoa. They started 10 years earlier. Yeah, that's so Donut crazy. is seven years old. We don't have any factories. We don't have a single factory. We don't even have a government contract. Yeah, we well, don't even work you for know of. Additionally... <laughs> A new facility was built on Juno Avenue in Milwaukee, which still functions as the corporate office center today. I bet there's some nice bars down the street from that place. Oh, yeah, man. We're talking about Juno? Yeah. Yes. The Why Not 3 Ooh, is a great three, one. Because it, it first might be goes down. down. Uh, there's also the best chicken wing place in Milwaukee, East Point. Dude, I gotta, yeah. we got to go back. We got to go. I wasn't invited the first time. <laughs> It's because I'm not fun. <laughs> <laughs> Harley also found marketing success by sponsoring several motorcycle racing teams around the country. Nicknamed the Wrecking Crew, the wildly popular teams competed against the likes of other early manufacturers like Triumph and Indian Motorcycles. In the early 20s, one faction of the Wrecking Crew started having a pig ride on the back of their bikes <laughs> during their victory laps. Oh, yeah. That's sick. 
Fans began to refer to the crew as the Hogboys. <laughs> <laughs> and thus, Harleys became known as Hogs. How hog great boys, dude. that you, you can also boys, dude. turn that into a Har- Harley owners group. Like That's wow. amazing. That's great. We got to get a pig. <laughs> Just a big old. Or a tiny horse. Hmm? Pig's probably friendlier, I think. Yeah, pigs get big, though. Yeah. Tiny horse, stay tiny. Yeah. <laughs> the mid tw- sorry, I saw one time the world's smallest horse came to San Luis Obispo <laughs> County. It was wow. gross looking. Was there like a parade for it? <laughs> no, it was at this farm and we had to drive out and see it. But there's a reason like it was clearly Not like a lot going on, severely huh? deformed. Like its fate like the oh. eyes were like a little too close together on the front <laughs> yeah. of its head and <laughs> it was sad, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like this thing doesn't it, Clearly yeah, it doesn't was, like being alive. It's not like a small version of a No, it's like, yeah, it's it was I'm kinda getting sad thinking about it. <laughs> oh, man. I would like a tiny horse, but I want it to be I want it to look exactly like, like Secretariat. A, oh yeah. Yeah. Shiny muscular portions are right. Like fast as shit. Yeah. <laughs> What'd you call it? Huh? What'd you call your horse? Secretary at E T T. Oh, cute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Little Secretary Tito. <laughs> Secretary <laughs> the mid 20s brought about one of the longest lasting design changes to the Harley line. They replaced their formerly flat topped gas tanks with the now iconic teardrop. Design. Oh, there we go. The JD series was the first to adopt the teardrop and was also the first to feature the two cam engine, which sent the bike to a top speed of 100 miles per Per hour. Dude, I wonder amazing. if that was what years is twenty something? Nineteen early twenties, dude. If that was hundred years than, ago, faster than any car that was built at the time. I'm sure, uh, probably any production car. Maybe I don't know. I didn't Google it. I've only done hundreds of these and hundreds <laughs> of videos about cars, but I don't retain any information. No, I think you're right, Joe. Production wise. Hmm. In addition to their rivalry at the track, Harley-Davidson's main competition on the sales floor during these initial decades of growth was another American motorcycle company, Indian Motorcycles. Founded only a few years before Harley, Indian made great racer and consumer models alike. In response to Indian's successful Scout model, Harley-Davidson released the D-Series, the D-Series, in 1929, which introduced the side valve 45 cubic inch V-twin engine known as the 45 or flathead. We've all heard that. An engine that would go on to influence various bikes for the next 40 years and beyond. That's sick. I'm building a flathead, panhead, har- armchair, panhead, shovelhead. Shovelhead. Yeah. Isn't that one of them? Anyway. Numerous bike companies were forced out of business during the Great Depression, but Harley was able to hang on because of their decade of success prior to the economic fallout. They also made their tires out of ham. (laughs) (laughs) The company entered the 1930s with the introduction of the R-Series, and wrecking crew rider Joe Petrolli torched a streak of five consecutive dirt track national championships and four straight hill climb titles. Petrolli also set a land speed record over 136 miles an hour Aboard a streamlined knucklehead, knucklehead in 1937. Love the name. That's sick, dude. I know. Unfortunately, William Davidson, the oldest Davidson brother and acting head of production, died that same year at the age of 66, which was like 120 in 1937 <laughs> age. However, two days before his death, he signed an agreement with Harley Davidson workers to make the company a union operation, Hell yeah. setting Oof. the tone for decades of worker satisfaction. Milwaukee has a rich history of. Uh, socialist and pro-union politics. Hell yeah. This D-series that we mentioned in the last paragraph is really cool and for having been developed in the 20s, like, looks like it could have been made in the 60s. Like, it's so futuristic for its time. As motorcycle culture grew across the country, a Sturgis, South Dakota-based bike club called the Jack Pine Gypsies came up with an idea. You don't say it. You can't say it anymore. Oh. That's a, it's a it's history. I'm saying we if we start a club, we can't call ourselves oh. the Gypsies. No, we won't. Okay. I used to have a dog named Gypsy. Oh. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> club co-founder Clarence Pappy Howell and his wife Pearl decided to host a little weekend hangout with their biker pals in August of 1938, the inaugural Sturgis Bike Rally. Wow. 
And every that's so crazy that in 1938, everyone was like, yeah, I'll drive 14 hours to <laughs> yeah. Sturgis. Much to the delight of dozens in attendance, Pappy and Pearl's brainchild featured a hill climb competition and a half-mile race between nine participants. With Hall of Fame writer Smiling Johnny Spiegelhoff, a.k.a. the <laughs> Milwaukee Demon, <Yes. laughs> claiming the $500 prize aboard an Indian machine. He has two nicknames. Two yeah. sick nicknames. <laughs> Smiling Johnny and the Milwaukee Demon. That's sick, dude. <laughs> can I steal the Milwaukee Demon? Sure. Yeah, can yeah. take right. over Milwaukee Demon? Yeah. yeah. Dude, let's ride again. <laughs> Milwaukee Demon. You're already Doug Demon. Oh, You're the Milwaukee Demon, Joe. Yeah. That's awesome. Word of bike week or weekend back then, quick spread, quick spreadly, spread quickly. <laughs> quick spreadly, that's quick your s- name. <laughs> <laughs> that's your new nickname. Quick spreadly. Quick spreadly. <laughs> and that guy all spread quick if you ask. The only porn star newscaster. <laughs> <laughs> I'm quick spread. <laughs> <laughs> Just be careful what Nolan thinks you're asking him to do. <laughs> uh, yeah, it spread quickly, and the next year, 19 racers competed with over 800 people cheering them on. Sturgis went on to become a globally recognized iconic event and has happened every year since, except during a cataclysmic event called World War II. Yeah, it happened during COVID, and yeah. it was one of the reasons that COVID spread so quickly across the <laughs> United States. Uh, one, Sturgis is an event, like, no shade on biking people, but if you ask me, hey, James, what's a national event that you don't want to attend? Sturgis <laughs> would be at the top of the list. Um, and then two, uh, on an airplane one time, I watched with Jesse and I were flying back from somewhere. Mm-hmm. We watched cops from the nineties <laughs> at Sturgis. Oh, oh my God. God. So if, if you want an awesome, uh, couple hours of entertainment, I'm sure it's on YouTube. Look up cops at the TV show cops at Sturgis. That it's sounds awesome. really funny. Lots of leathery people blitzed out of their mind. Yeah. Yeah. Like in World War One, Harley Davidson built nearly 90,000 motorcycles for the military along with a litany of repair parts from 1941 until 1945. The war years also coincided with dramatic changes in Harley-Davidson management. Company president Walter Davidson died in 1942, and the next year, Bill Harley also passed away. Thanks. Both men were indispensable contributors to the company's success, and their love of bikes never waned, as they were active riders well into their 60s. Hell yeah. Despite the loss of two more of their founding members, Harley-Davidson's World War II efforts earned them the Army-Navy E Award for their significant contributions to Ally victory. We've won two E Awards. We won a Streamy and a Webby. <laughs> While the rest of the modern world lay in post-war shambles, the United States entered a period of strong economic growth. Yeah, baby. This resulted in the bike market welcoming more mainstream consumers like suburban dads to join the racers, military vets, and rebel youths who were the primary bike demographics at the time. Advancements in Harley technology during the late 40s included the Panhead V-twin engine, which got its name from its one-piece rocker covers that resembled cake pans. Yeah, I like to see like a real like rebel youth who's the leather jacket and just like F authority, man. Like, oh, the top of this engine looks like a cake pan. The pans I used to bake. It's not super explicit in this, but when they were called the silent gray riders, it was like seen as like a sophisticated, uh, you know, like businessman bike that was quiet and Hmm. not rude. And so there was this crazy shift around this time, especially when they came back from World War II and started modding their bikes that they embraced Uh and laid into, which, you know, gained their reputation that they still have today. But I think that's what missing is missing today is like they haven't taken that leap again to like yeah just like in hot rod culture a lot of this like rebel without a cause yeah sort of like modifying bikes and cars and going against authority is from young men coming back from seeing the most brutal stuff yeah. you've ever seen ever just deep trauma just like all their friends dying and just crazy 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 stuff and they're like you know what i gotta get my yagas out yeah and also 
I really like that motorcycle I had <laughs> yeah. over there. Yeah. So kind of sounds like, like a plane that I'm used to being. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna get one of those motorcycles that I used to have over there. Yeah. Now army guys get Dodge Chargers and Challengers. <laughs> yeah. Tragically, on December 30th, 1950, near their home in Waukesha, Wisconsin, Arthur Davidson and his wife Clara died in a car crash. Ironic. The passing of the final founding member of Harley-Davidson was only three years short of the company's 50th anniversary. Oh, man. 1953 was also the year that Indian motorcycles went under. After decades of mismanagement, Harley's sole American competitor was gone, and Harley-Davidson was now the bona fide king of American motorcycles. You know what's sad is we'll probably never be around for the 50th anniversary of any company where we start. Why? You plan on living to be 86? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I plan on being like 120, man. It's 2023. People are old as hell. Bernie Ecclestone just had a kid. He's 90. <laughs> oh, he yeah, was born he in did. like the 30s yeah. or something. Yeah. I mean, that's like, what, 44 years? Yeah, man. That's, I mean. I'm planning on living long enough to transfer my consciousness into a mech suit. <laughs> oh, that's pretty sick. <laughs> that my kids can ride around in. And what if your like your grandkids like I'll are like, talk to oh, them it's, it's that time we gotta transfer our grandpa into a mech suit that'd be and sick and they just though. cheap out and you get like no. a, a Kirkland <laughs> no 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 it'll be taken care of in my will yeah I will start building my mech suit as soon as the technology becomes available <laughs> yeah okay here's the future I hope for I hope that we can all download our consciousness into robot mech suits yeah. that our grandchildren. And descendants can wear, and I can guide them through their adventures through the comms. So I'm like a robot suit that they wear, but I have a personality and a consciousness. That's what I think the future is. Honestly, it sounds like a sick movie that I would, would watch. Would you have yeah. to sleep, or would you just like they? I have power to charge. I would beg them to power me down. <laughs> <laughs> but every time I power down, I have terrible nightmares. Oh God! Yeah, it's rough. We'll be right back with more of this story. But first, a word from our sponsors. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Despite their dominance of the consumer market, Harley knew they needed to improve their racing models. So, as a replacement for the AWR and WRTT production racers, they introduced the KR, or KR, which was an immediate sensation. The KR won seven consecutive Daytona 200s in the 1950s and early 60s. Along with their racing success, Harley-Davidson ignited the superbike era with the introduction of the Harley-Davidson Sportster model in 1957. An entirely new American subculture was birthed by these bikes. And thanks to the increasing cultural influences like the film The Wild One with Marlon Brando and illustrations by Tom of Finland, <laughs> leather vests, riding boots, and a renegade outlaw image began to enhance the Harley-Davidson mystique. However, <laughs> Harley wasn't exactly pumped about their new rebel image. They loved representing freedom in open spaces, but having literal criminals as some of their most visible consumers was something they wanted to change. In an attempt to appeal to a more mainstream consumer, the company entered the 60s with their first and only scooter, the Topper, <laughs> and promoted tech upgrades like Electric Start, Whoa. which was first seen on the middle America-friendly Electroglide. Hmm. 1965 also saw Harley-Davidson go public 
for the first time and were soon bought by the American Machine and Foundry Company, uh, or AMF, who is best known for making bowling ball machines. <laughs> the AMF deal was a blessing at first, since Japanese bikes were becoming the first real competition for Harley since Indian motorcycles had hit the skids. The extra cash from AMF helped the company increase manufacturing and marketing. However, the 1970s would prove to be significantly more complicated. Can you imagine being at a bowling alley and the ball return is just like, rah, 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 <laughs> like shooting <laughs> balls out, really? <laughs> Harley-Davidson's racing program stumbled out of the gates in the early 70s. The now legendary XR750, which was essentially a D-stroke sportster, didn't even finish the 1970 Daytona 200. But the real trouble began to brew in 1975, when AMF Vice President of Engineering Jeff Bluestein was put in charge of ratcheting up manufacturing for the ever-expanding Harley-Davidson fleet. The extra cost meant prices for hogs went higher, and the resulting sales dip found Bluestein pressured by the AMF money men to fix the problem by lowering production standards. This turned out to be a really dumb, greedy idea, as reliability almost immediately crumbled. As many as 30% of vehicles rolling off the assembly line weren't even finished. Along with the incomplete bikes, dealers suffered severe part shortages, so even if they wanted to fix the new hogs, guys, some couldn't. Delayed orders and spreading news of the AMF-induced chaos severely damaged Harley's reputation among consumers, and some of their most diehard loyalists questioned if the company had sold out. I guess people were really split on this. It's a real 7-10 split on huh? it. <laughs> to make matters they worse. They didn't have enough customers to spare. <laughs> they almost struck out. <laughs> to make matters worse, an onslaught of quality competition from Yamaha, Triumph, Kawasaki, and especially Honda were gouging Harley's market share. Even the successful introductions of the Fat Bob and FXR Lowrider <laughs> couldn't make up for the damage of the decade. In 1969, Harley-Davidson had an 80% share of the U.S. motorcycle market for super heavyweight machines, and 10 years later, it was down to only 20%. Another severe kick in the shorts was the 1981 recession, and after a decade of losses, AMF began to wane in their commitment to Harley. So, in June of 1981, 13 Harley-Davidson executives, including Jeff Bluestein and a gentleman by the name of Von Beals, convinced Citicorp to back them in a management buyout of AMF. To the tune of about $82 million, Harley-Davidson had new life, and the restructured company was determined to win back their customers. Let's do it! Ugh. Guys! I didn't know you could do a management buyout. That's sick. Yeah, can you just buy it back? Yeah. yeah. Uh, the Barracks just bought their channel back. They're, uh, yeah. Really? From Hypebeast, well, and they're super excited about it, and yeah. we are too. Congrats, Eric. Eric Congrats. and Steve. Steve. That's cool. Yeah, we're friends with Eric Costin. Kind of. Yeah, by proxy. By proxy. <laughs> yeah, we hang out with Ashad. Once. Once. New company CEO Vaughn Beals led Harley-Davidson to a dramatic comeback. In 1982, Beals updated the company's inventory system and manufacturing process, which immediately lowered cost and improved quality. The next year, the Harley Owners Group, Joe, H-O-G, Hogs. Joe pointed that out earlier, <laughs> was formed and convinced the International Trade Commission to impose a tariff on Japanese motorcycles of over 700 cc. Oh, come on. That's a little, <laughs> little chicken tax, baby. Free market unless it hurts us. <laughs> <laughs> As a result, many Japanese 750 cc motorcycles were sleeved down to 700 cc's for the American market. Dude, I'd like to sleeve down about 15 pounds this yeah, January. Yeah, for real, dude. Yeah, man. I'm going to lose 25 pounds. I've lost 11. I need to lose That's 25 great. more. Yeah. That's awesome. We're delighted, don't you know, Beal said. <laughs> <laughs> It'll give us time to make manufacturing improvements and bring out new products, don't you know? It's tool time. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> During their window of being protected by the tariffs, Harley introduced their new 1,340cc V2 Evolution motor and also released their first pure throwback model, the Soft Tail. Uh, is also what we call Nolan. <laughs> <laughs> spread quickly. A.K.A. Soft Tail. <laughs> quick, quick spread. spread quick, 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 quick spread tail. Quick A.K.A. Spread. <laughs> Johnny Soft Tail. Hey. 
that design was inspired by hogs of the 40s and 50s. Strong sales of the soft tail and a noticeable improvement in customer satisfaction led Harley-Davidson to petition the ITC to relax the import tariff in 1987. Okay. That's pretty nice. There you, you like, go. Yeah, we're, we do, just, we're on our feet again. We just need a little yeah. break to get our heads together. These guys are making some really good motorcycles, okay? And we just need a little yeah. bit of time to make good motorcycles again. Okay, now we're making good motorcycles again. Let the competition resume. Game on. <laughs> Harley-Davidson was back, baby, and in 1988, the company gave customers a unique opportunity to celebrate their 85th anniversary. For only a $10 donation to Harley-Davidson's favorite charity cause, the Muscular Dystrophy Association, biker fans of any brand could unite in various cities across the country then trek together to Milwaukee and celebrate the company. I'm glad that they, uh, you could just ride any bike. That's cool. As long as you ride a bike. I dig that. Yeah. 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 Well, that's kind of, you're free to do it, but Harley guys are pretty, uh, clicky. Are they? Yeah. And so they'll, they'll tell you what's on their mind. Uh, maybe they'll tell me what's on their mind and be met with a big old chain to the face. Whoa, dude. (laughs) Yeah. It's funny that there is like, especially in motorcycles, that there is like brand loyalty click like that. Cause it's like, at the end of the day, you're riding them, you're just zipping along on a road yeah. on a thing with a motor, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. Like, it's supposed to be fun. Yeah. Like, so what if my motorcycle has four wheels and a steering wheel? <laughs> <and four laughs> yeah, seats? dude. That's what I'm saying. And a roof and a windshield. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Those are all. Electric nannies. Yeah, those are, <laughs> no, four wheels are electric nannies. I like my motorcycle. Like, with it's two crazy. Wheels, huh? You could die at any moment on one of these things, but you're still going to be like, nah, dude, you're not on the right bike. Yeah, I think if anyone's like clicky, I think that's like on its way out, being yeah. clicky and yeah. keep you like that. And if you're the kind of person who's like, this person's not a real enthusiast because for whatever reason, then uh, you can go ahead and shut the fuck up. You're a, <laughs> you're a dork. Don't bleep that out. Keep it in. The kids need to hear it. You know what's no cap? Being inclusive. <laughs> yeah, no cap. As long as you're not hurting anybody else, do whatever the fuck you want. Gatekeeping? That's major cap, dude. <laughs> for real, for real. A combined 40,000 bikers took the offer and were led by Harley's top executives, including Beals and Bluestein. On a series of road trips that featured auctions and giveaways. Woo. (laughs) 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 Okay. Every kind of rider was represented, including retirees, weekend warriors, and even a sprinkling of hardcore biker clubs. When they finally arrived in Milwaukee on June 18th, the city glistened with chrome. Joe, can you attest to this? Yeah, it hurt my eyes. Yeah. The Charlie Daniels band played. Oh, they played that <laughs> one that song tells, over and over that again. That tells you anything. <laughs> Charlie Daniels what do they do? Band wagon played. Wheel? Rock Me Like no, a Wagon Wheel? No, they do Devil Went Down to Georgia. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Beals got <laughs> soaked in the celebrity dunk tank. I was hoping there was a dunk tank. And the crowd participated in activities like slow races, where the winner is the last one to cross the finish Interesting. line. Interesting. So it's like a balance test. Yeah, yeah. you got to do it without falling over. This, my, my good friend from I'm high really school. I'm really good at it in my... Motorcycle with four wheels and <laughs> seats. Uh, my good friend from high school, Mike Mulligan, rest in peace, uh, was the first one to get a motorcycle in our group. <laughs> and uh, I remember none of us had transportation, but he wanted to bring his motorcycle. So we were walking from his house to my house, and he was just on the street doing this slow race, oh, yeah. trying awesome. to stay upright. Nice. <laughs> and we're like, you can meet us there like you can just drive and he's like no this is pretty fun (laughs) as the festivities wound down the crowd cheered as two projector screens showed footage of the participants voyage to milwaukee hey that's me (laughs) that's you that's you that's you hey that guy looks like me i'm gonna fight him (laughs) that is you rick (laughs) i want to fight myself It was a wildly successful event that raised more than a half a million dollars for charity, which is not even close to how much donuts raise for charity. (laughs) Harley soared into the 1990s with the introduction of another popular throwback cruiser, the FX STS Springer Softail, as well as the FLS TF Fatboy. The company reported a 62% share of the U.S. heavyweight bike market in 1991, with Honda in second place at only 16%. Hmm. 
The early 90s also saw the first of Harley-Davidson's Dynaline, the FXDB Dynaglide Sturgis, as well as a fleet-wide change from metal chains back to drive belts. Not only did the new-gen belts offer a smoother ride, but riders were no longer hassled with the maintenance required for chains. It was also a time of dramatic expansion, with new facilities opening in Milwaukee, Franklin, Wisconsin, and the company's first foreign factory in Brazil. Shout out to my friend's dad, Mr. Yenter, lives in Franklin. Franklin, Wisconsin, home of Mr. Yenter. (laughs) Taught us how to do 360 backflips on a trampoline. Taught him how to do 360 backflips on a trampoline. Thank you, Mr. Yenter. You've made trampolines more fun for Joe. Uh, if you live in Franklin, Wisconsin, why don't you go to an overpass and hang a sign that says, thanks for the 360 backflips, Mr. Yenter. <laughs> I'm sure he would appreciate it. Take a picture, send it to passgas at donutmedia.com, and I will send you $50 <laughs> of my own money. They also opened a new plant in Kansas City. I don't know if that's Missouri or Kansas, where over 2,000 <laughs> applicants competed for only 300 jobs. Sounds like uh, the current American job market. <laughs> a major reason for this was that Harley has a reputation for being a fantastic place to work. Remember William Davidson, the co-founder who signed the agreement to make Harley-Davidson a union shop in 1937? Well, his dedication to employee satisfaction was carried into the new millennium by our boy, Jeff Bluestein. Bluestein's improved labor laws led to Fortune magazine naming Harley-Davidson as one of the best companies to work in 1998. The same year, Harley announced record sales in the first quarter after 32 months of consecutive growth. Oh, you yeah. hear that? Other big companies, you treat your workers right, you see growth. Yeah, but they're about to go out of business. Foreshadowing. <laughs> <sighs> we'll get back to more past gas, but right now, a word from our sponsors. When Harley-Davidson celebrated their 100th anniversary in 2003, Nearly 250,000 people rolled into Milwaukee to join in on the festivities. Along with all the bikes and camaraderie, the weekend featured a never-ending cavalcade of Harley-branded merchandise. Merch makes up about 5% of Harley-Davidson's annual revenue, which translates to over $200 million worth of leather, boots, and other hog gear. (laughs) Hog gear. (laughs) Hog gear. The company also offers motorcycle insurance, credit cards, and a riding academy where you can shell out 300 bucks per class to safely saddle up and learn from their expert riders. I remember looking forward to this 100th anniversary. Everyone, it was, yeah, what was, was that a like? buzz in Milwaukee. Yeah. And yeah, what was it like, like in Milwaukee back then? Oh, the energy was palpable. You could feel it. But uh, <laughs> we were like, great. I wonder who's going to headline the, because yeah. there was like a concert. Yeah. And they were like, uh, speculation about Chris, uh, Chris Rock, Kid Rock. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, Kid, Kid Rock. Rock would be a good Kid one. Rock would have been good. He's from Michigan. Three they doors ended down. Wisconsin. Yeah, <laughs> I like who they picked. Eminem. It was not Eminem. Eminem. No, no, no. It was not Eminem. Yeah, let's okay, see okay. if you can guess. Two thousand headlined the Harley, Harley Fest. They could probably spend a good amount. Uh, lit. Lit. <laughs> lit is <laughs> like fifty thousand dollars at most, even in their prime. I was wait. So this is more than that. We do we know how much it cost? They had Charlie no, saying, Daniels. They, I don't the know. Last time, that's Charlie why. Daniels. Also, very Harley wheelhouse. Yeah, James. So Crazy. Just lit. So this is 2003. I'm just. Yeah. I'm just guessing. Motley Crue. Elton John. What? Elton John. <laughs> what? Everyone was as shocked as you guys. What the? F- <laughs> Harley. 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 Hottie and the motorcycle. <laughs> that is crazy. Yeah. Everyone was like, uh, what? what? And so there was like, you know, people obviously were drunk and rowdy. And I think he ended up walking off stage early or oh, something like no. that. But I think the next day they were like, okay, let's just get Chris, uh, Chris Rock, Kid Rock. And so I think they booked Kid Rock like, like last, last minute. Last so like, oh, he probably made bank off yeah. that. Hey, kid, what are you doing tomorrow? Uh, nothing. <laughs> you want to come fly in from Detroit? I'll just drive. <laughs> <laughs> wow, man. That's amazing. Elton, Elton John, John Barry, dude. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I would have got Eminem. 
No, who would you book for Harley's 100th anniversary? 100th I would have booked a Milwaukee band like Violent Femmes or Violent Cuckoo Femme? Cow. For, for Harley's? For Harley, though? Uh, I don't know, like Leonard Skinner or yeah, something. Like yeah, like Skinner. Yeah. Skinner. Well, the problem with Leonard Skinner is they're all dead. Yeah. Except for They were having like, there was like, but they got like the they guy's brother. now, but. No, but like the early 2000s was like a Leonard Skinner kind of like renaissance. What about like John Fogarty? Fogarty, like CCR, yeah, yeah. John. California, yeah, but he embodies that. Yeah, Fogarty was really good. Willie Nelson, really Nelson. Nelson, come on, yes, yeah, Willie Nelson would be my. Johnny even, Cash sure. is still alive too. Yeah, Johnny Cash, yeah, man. Even a like a, a that was fun. that was like Trent Reznor, Johnny Cash era too. Yeah, I, Rick Rubin was uh, recording American. That's yeah, I mean. My that must have been like pyre of dirt. Happy birthday, Harley! <laughs> <laughs> I will let you down. I bet, hundred years. I bet. I bet I Elton John. Make you. I bet Elton John was like Bluestein's like favorite artist. He's like, look, yeah, I'm everyone's going, gonna love him. Yeah. <laughs> that's so. That's what do we got? Anyway. In 2008, the Harley-Davidson Museum opened in Milwaukee. Along with a multitude of iconic bike models and interactive exhibits, the museum has a replica of the 10 by 15 foot shed where Bill Harley and Arthur Davidson built their first prototype. Have you been in that shed? No, I've actually never been to this museum before. We had plans to do it. Dude, next time I'm not invited to Milwaukee, you guys (laughs) gotta go. I've always wanted to go. We had plans to go when we were there, but we just didn't just get around it. to it. But they do have a bronze Fonz outside. Mm. What's a bronze maybe it's, Fonz? Maybe it's not. Like Fonzie? Fonzie. Because like Arthur Happy Fonzarelli? Days, Happy Days took place in Milwaukee. Henry Winkler? And he rode a motorcycle. Bob Labla from <laughs> That's Chachi. I thought Scott Baio. That's Scott Baio. Oh, yeah. I've met Henry Winkler before at a I've Christmas party. I've heard he's party. just a delight. He is so oh, yeah. nice. Yeah. yeah. Barry Zuckercorn, that's right. Yeah, Barry I met, Zuckercorn. I met Henry Winkler at a at a Hollywood Christmas party. <laughs> I've also been on Arrested Development. Well, nice. Yeah. Along with about every other business on earth, Harley was walloped by the 2008 financial crisis, and Damn profits it. sank 84% the following Shoot. year. Shoot. They're still making a profit, though. First thing you sell is a motorcycle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the end of the decade also represented a certain tipping point in Harley-Davidson's customer base. It was becoming clear that Gen X and millennial ridership was down compared to baby boomers. Now, as a result, Harley focused much of the 2010s on a new generation of riders. Along with the affordable and sporty XG Street in 2014, the company released their first electric motorcycle in 2019 under the sub-brand Livewire. But with a price close to $30,000, dude, that dealers, is so much it's for a lot motorcycle. of money. Dealers had trouble selling the new model. Fortunately, the Livewire 1 was introduced in 2021 with a sticker price closer to $22,000, which is more in line with Harley's, uh, the rest of their fleet. The bike is able to travel about 146 miles on a single charge, and sales have improved. Even better, Livewire will soon release its $17,000 EV dubbed the S2 Del Mar and are currently accepting- They just released it. Oh, really? Uh, Race service did a big thing. Oh, nice. Harley-Davidson made around $5.5 billion in 2021 which is almost identical to their profits in 2005. Despite the lack of growth, they maintain a loyal customer base and a strong reputation for quality. Honda produces the most motorcycles in the world, but in terms of big bikes, Harley-Davidson still reigns, with about 50% market share for models 601 cc's and over. More good news for the company is that today, millennials are buying bikes like never before. Yeah, we are, baby. I got 11 of them out <laughs> back. Joe just bought his 14th motorcycle. That's, That's right. funny because... Jared probably has more than 11 motorcycles. He definitely does. He definitely does. Yeah. Yeah. Jeremiah's like, none of us ride motorcycles. We don't make videos about motorcycles. We have There's three in the office. Three <laughs> more good news. For I don't com- mind. It makes me feel like no, I'm Bruce Wayne. It's cool. It's cool. <laughs> Nationwide motorcycle and scooter sales in 2021 jumped 9% from the previous year, and the overall total was the most in almost two decades. I'm looking at Harley's website right now, the Sportster S. That's a bike I want to buy. That looks I know, sweet. Dude, I have I have two <laughs> windows open right now, looking at Sportsters. They're sick. Nine uh, percent seems low to me. I think that's like not including the fact that now we have things like because we included scooters in this, mm-hmm. like the Super Seventy Three bikes, mm-hmm. the Zoos bikes that we have. Oh yeah, you know, like electric yeah. little scooter yeah. things are mobility stuff everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. I was driving the other day, and there's this kid. 
just like he was, must have been 12, 13 years old, like mobbing home from school on a Zeus bike. Uh, shouts to Zeus. Um, they're awesome. Get one. We have three of them in the office. And I was like, dude, little kids now have motorcycles. Yeah. That's yeah. Cool. Like those things go 35 miles per <laughs> hour. <laughs> and you don't need a license or anything. No. That's awesome. Want me to close you it? You know up? what I wish would happen? What? I wish big would happen to me. <laughs> <laughs> but you would become a kid? I'd become a kid. Reverse big. And then, I'd, and then I'd come here and I'd I'd do my job just as good as I do it. <gasps> but I'd be a kid. Yeah. And we're and we they'd be like, This is how we age down our audience. And then I'm I'd be a kid, but I'd have a salary. Now I do wish big would happen to me because it's it must be so fun to be a kid right now. Yeah. Being an adult right now stinks. Everything's too expensive. Mm. I went to Target <laughs> and every there's so many like content creator packs yeah for kids like that's all kids want to do now if i were a kid i would have a youtube channel yeah i'd make bank yeah and then your parents would take all your money away from you i would no i would uh divorce them i'd macaulay the f out of my parents (laughs) (laughs) i'd be like bieber you'd emancipate yourself i'd emancipate myself for sure so okay if i do get reverse bigged then uh i'm looking for a lawyer to emancipate me Despite all of the dramatic changes to the automotive landscape since 1903, Harley-Davidson has been a perennial powerhouse in the motorcycle world for almost 120 years. That's crazy. The company started with a boyhood friendship and has grown into a global icon. Guys, like us. The Davidson brothers and William Harley changed the face of transportation and American culture forever. Only time will tell if the Livewire brand will take off, but considering the rise in millennial motorcycle ownership and that nearly half a million people still trek to Sturgis every year, even if there is a deadly global pandemic going on, I think it's safe to say that Harley-Davidson motorcycles might be around for another century. You know, I would buy a Pumphrey Sykes and Weber bike. Dude, Pumphrey Sykes and Weber sounds like a good company. Yeah. I trust those guys. Whether we come a, like a lawyer group or Bumphrey, motorcycle. It really is the Weber that like mm-hmm, really really ties it together, I think. If anyone wants to make us like a shield, like a Harley type shield. Yeah. Send it to pass gas at yeah. Speaking of we need speaking a logo. of pass gas. If anyone wants to be our aunt and make us a logo. Well, speaking of, of mail, dude, we got a we got a honker today. Oh, okay. God. Here, Here we, we go. go. All right. I've yeah. I've actually heard about this yeah. email. <laughs> wow. Dude, this guy's calling your BS Yeah. Man. Strap in. Dear okay, Donut next Media. Week we might only have two hosts. <laughs> Dear Donut Media Past Gas Podcast. I'm a Wisconsinite and an avid listener of the DRS and Past Gas Podcast. Us Wisconsin folks can't wait to tune in each week and hear the wise words of our prodigal son, Joe Weber, the best Wisconsin spokesman since Got Milk. But out of respect for Joe in the great state of Wisconsin, I must correct a tragic falsehood I heard on the Santa's coal bag episode of Past Gas. (laughs) A&W cheese curds can't squeak. What? Exhibit A. Nolan shared that he had experienced cheese curds for the first time at A&W restaurants. Joe asked, were they squeaky? And Nolan responded, yes. <laughs> the problem here is that fried cheese curds almost never squeak. In fact, they can't due to the high temperature of frying and the amazing gooiness of frying induces, which denatures the bouncy proteins that rub on your teeth to squeak. Wow. Exhibit B, cheese curds squeak because of the protein bonds on the outside of the cheese. Those calcium bonds rub against your enamel when you bite the curd, There's making a, link. a satisfying no, squeak. In this actual PhD research from the University of Wisconsin, the elasticity of the cheese plays an important role, but frying would take that elasticity out. Wow. The University of Wisconsin did... <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's awesome. Exhibit C. A&W serves fried cheese curds. The menu specifically mentions golden fried and lightly breaded and taste perfection for popping, dipping, and stretching. But there is no mention of squeaking. He put that in caps. (laughs) He's yelling. But there is no mention of squeaking. Further, the A&W cheese curds are made in Canada and then frozen, which also removes any potential for squeaky cheese curds. (laughs) Conclusion? This cheesy falsehood lacks a shred of truth. <laughs> Why are you laughing? 
I'm extremely disappointed this falsehood tarnished the good name of Donut Investigative Journalism. <laughs> I laud Donut Media for their engaging, well-researched, and thoughtful commentary on the motor racing industries and its direct impact on our lives, but this claim just melts under the microscope. Nice. Wow. To right this blatant wrong and restore the good name of Wisconsinites and grant Joe Weber the respect he deserves, I propose Nolan eats cheese curds, not of the A&W persuasion. <laughs> Ideally, Culver's, Culver's on an upcoming episode of Pass Gas Podcast about cars, not farts. Sincerely, Nick from Wisconsin. Uh, thank you, Nick. Thank you, Nick, yeah, for that very you, in-depth email. I'm sorry. I I, I, I guess I lied. Um, Just don't let it happen again. I won't let it happen Why again. Why would you lie, though? Are you that insecure? Yeah, about my A&W. You needed to squeak. I would you love... You need people to think that your curds squeak. Well, yeah. I accept the proposition that I eat cheese curds on another episode. I would love to. Yeah, um, we'll but I get, think in the meantime... We should unpack why you we should unpack. Felt we should like work you on had healing. to lie about that. Okay. Yeah. What this I is think a deeper happened, issue than yeah. just squeaky curves. What I think happened is that I, you know, attributed qualities from my recent cheese curds experience in Wisconsin to a memory that happened in June or July of 2011 okay. after I graduated high school. Yes. I applied for a debit card. I didn't have one in high school. Okay. Right. And the first thing I did after going home from Coast Hills Bank in Atascadero, uh -huh. I stopped at a local fast food establishment yes. called A&W. Yes. Yeah. And I ordered a root beer float, mm -hmm. cheese curds, and a burger. Yes. Nice. And, Good order. you know, I must have attributed the clearly superior Wisconsin qualities to the inferior A&W cheese curds order. Well, this is what I think happened, okay? Okay. <laughs> you, go, you go get your debit card. You treat yourself I to did. a root beer float, a burger, and yeah. some fried cheese curds, and you mistake, you know, maybe slipperiness for squeakiness. Maybe, maybe. Because uh, there's no denying a fried cheese curd is slippery mm -hmm. when you bite into it, mm -hmm. right? It's yeah. gooey, slips yeah. on your teeth. Yep. Mm -hmm. You might have heard a squeak from your jaw or the maybe. the straw. Or maybe, oh, ooh, maybe. the straw or maybe... Uh, your Ford Taurus that you drove at the time. I, that was yeah, my Ford Taurus. Yeah, it could Taurus, be a loose yeah. belt a or something. Squeaks. That's so right. I'm, I'm not blaming you. I don't. Okay. You're you're not like Wisconsin's no. arch nemesis. You're, yeah. No, I'm a friend of Wisconsin. Yeah. You are. You were invited to go to Milwaukee with Joe. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I accept I will order or I will eat an order of cheese curds on an on a upcoming episode. Absolutely. Let's um, do it. Let's do yeah. it. All right. Thanks for listening to yeah, Pass Thank Gas. you, Nick. If you'd like to send another very long email, uh, hit us up at passgas at donutmedia.com. <laughs> we'll read Usually it on air. We tend to put the shorter ones on air, though. Yeah. We, uh, uh, medium's good. Medium's good. This is a great example of a, of a listener email. Send us something like this. We'll almost definitely read it on the air. Uh, we make one of these every week, so listen to it, subscribe to it, leave us a review, tell your friends about it. Word of mouth is how people learn about podcasts these days. Uh, speaking of which, Nolan hosts another podcast for Donut called DRS, the Donut Racing Show. It's going to pick back up in February. and goes in-depth covering the Formula One season along with his co-hosts. Alanis King and Elizabeth Blackstock. We're going weekly this season. Two very, very smart people who know a ton about Formula One. Uh, and More than we, me. And we present, they present it in a very fun way. It's uh, the cheap beer uh, answer to the champagne life of Formula One. Very accessible, very funny, very entertaining. One of my faves. Thank you. Uh, follow Nolan on socials at Nolan J. Sykes. Follow Joe at Joe G. Weber. Follow me at James Pumphrey or on TikTok uh, Kentucky, at Kentucky Cobra. Follow Donut everywhere at Donut Media. Uh, we have a YouTube channel. If you don't know, check that out. We make videos all the time, all about cars. We also make clothes, tons of them. They're really cool. My friend Andy designs most of them. It's really, really fun. They're really high quality and uh, awesome. Go to DonutMedia.com, pick yourself up some of those. And uh, support our sponsors because without them, we couldn't make anything. Uh, now I'm going to go look at motorcycles that I'm not going to buy on fake split marketplace. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Bye. Peace.
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.